Hello, little homies. Welcome back to Fun Fact Nobody Asked For. I'm excited. Today, James called in from work because he's feeling a little sicky. So, James is joining us today. Yeah, so if, if I sound a little funny, that's why. Um, it's, been, it's been a minute since you've heard my voice, though. <laughs> so, why don't you tell the folks who we're talking about today? It's a dude named Elias Abuelazem. That's one way to say his name. I know. Well, I actually found out the Abulazam, so that's the other way, is because he actually had his name changed mm -hmm. to Abulazam. Yeah, I think it was in 95 or 97 that he had his name changed. Yeah. Um, he also is known by the Flint Serial Killer or the Flint Serial Stabber. Yeah. So we're going to go into his personal life for a second. Yes, yeah, so basically Abuelazam was born in Israel to, you know, they were a well-off Christian family there. And then as a child, he moved to the United States with his family after his mother ended up remarrying. So he ended up acquiring a green card but never gained U.S. citizenship. Which, that's weird to me, because I actually thought that's what getting your U.S. citizenship was, like, mm -hmm. if you're not... No, green card is, like, tem temporary um, ability to be there, but that's based off mm -hmm. of... Well, I'm not 100% sure if that's the same thing as a work visa, um, but basically a green card is more or less temporary. It's not a permanent thing. Oh, okay. Because you can have a U.S. citizenship, but the thing is... For him, that would be a dual citizens, citizens, citizenship because he also has his um, Israeli citizenship. Mm. So it would be a dual citizenship. Uh, but because a green card is not the same thing. Then... Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, he did change his name to, his last name to Abulazam in March 1995. I wonder why he did that. Like, I wasn't able to find out why, but you know what? You do you, guy. You do you. <laughs> yeah, so Boilazam was his uh, original name, but Abulazam is his changed name. You know, kept it as Elias, because why not? But Yeah, sometimes he went as Eli. Well, this, this guy really, like... There's a lot of interesting stuff about him. Cause it's like So I think we'll start with just kind of talking about like his personal life and then we'll get into the crimes investigation. And then because I really want to deep dive on how they ended up catching him because I went on a, down a rabbit hole, guys. I did. And like just the whole way of how they ended up getting him is so good. <laughs> so good <laughs> and yeah no so we could just continue with personal life so basically up until 2008 he worked at piedmont behavioral health center which was an adolescent psychiatric facility in leesburg virginia which is now actually called north spring behavioral behavioral health care and i wonder why they changed the name I mean, stuff happens. Stuff happens. And, but he worked there as a mental health technician. See, and that makes me kind of curious. What does that mean, mental health technician? Because it's like... So... Oh, okay. So, mental health professional who works with psychiatrics 
and psychiatric nurses provide hands-on care. Okay, so it's not like... Because, see, I was thinking mental health technician meant, like, you know, they help diagnose and they help, like, you know... No, but it looks like, like he that. actually just took care of them. Yeah, like, they... He, like, walked them or, you know, did, like, yeah. the the basic stuff with them. With the, the folks in there. Okay. Which I did read somewhere. There are theories, and this is just speculation, so take it with a grain of salt, y'all. Or but, a couple. Yeah. But some, um, I was reading that, because he later went on, and we will talk about that more later, but he went on to try and plea like insanity, and people think that his experience working at the psychiatric facility is actually kind of what led him to try to like because he has some kind of knowledge about psychiatric stuff and you know he was around those people so he could you know try to use their experiences to create his own kind of experience and you know but we'll get more into that when we get to that (laughs) but that was a little fun fact i thought people thought those were tied can't confirm if they're tied but they thought that so after he moved to michigan he ended up working as a clerk at kingwater market in beecher from july 5th to august 1st 2010 that was like a whole week yeah oh wait no sorry 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 i i misread that that was a little under a month yeah no that i think that was actually the place he was working around the time he actually started yeah i think getting Like, I think that's the last place he worked. Yeah. People really knew him as Eli, but they also called him, like, Big Man, I think, or Big Dude. Is something I saw. Like, Big Man. I don't know. Because he was a tall, like, he was a tall dude. I mean, he's only an inch higher than I am. I know, and you're a tall dude. (laughs) (laughs) He was six foot five. (laughs) How much did he weigh? I saw something around, like, I think 230. Yeah, no, that's a big dude. I mean, he could nearly be a linebacker. Yeah, that's a, that's a big dude. Okay, but <laughs> anyway, that's what he was known as at work. And at one point, oh, it was on July 29th. Okay, so on July 29th, he was cited for giving alcohol to a minor. But that same day, a 59-year-old man was stabbed in Flint, which was where Buela uh, Zam dude was living at the time. Which I found it so interesting because, like, while I was doing my research and stuff, I actually found the address to where he was living at the time all this went down. Hmm. I You can't buy it. It's not up for sale because someone already lives there. But, like, yeah, they literally have his whole freaking address <laughs> on the internet. Um, another random just fact that no one asked for. Interesting. The warrant had a different address. I mean, that may just be because when he moved, he might not have actually changed his, uh, um, changed his address, like, on his ID. Because, like, I know that now, technically, this is different because, you know, we live here by my address as we still live with my parents. Mm. Or I do, rather. But, that's just because I haven't changed the ID, but because we have, like, you know, we have signed, like, signature stuff here. Technically, it's not the same, but yeah. Yeah, and this doesn't say it on this, but, okay, so while I was, like, doing research and stuff, I found out that Elias actually, like, was trying to live with his sister, but she did not want him 
living with her. I don't know, like, if they just had some beef. I couldn't find out why she didn't want him living with her. But she did not want him living with her. So, I don't know if they had, like, some beef or what. But he ends up living with his uncle, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, right. his... it says right here. Boy, yeah, with most his recently uncle. lived in a house okay. belonging to his uncle in, on Maryland Avenue in Flint's east side. Yeah, because this happened, well, this mostly happened in Flint, I think it's it is Michigan. Michigan? Yeah, Flint, Michigan. Okay. Which is funny because Flint, Michigan is the same place who has uh, all the water issues still. All the water issues? What are water issues? Like the water is almost legally not drinkable mm. and it has been since Obama was in office. Okay. So, Abuelism married Jessica Herr on July 30th, 2004, and in interviews that his family, or her family did, it was like, her and her dad were really surprised when they found out that he was accused of those murders, but her, Jessica's dad actually came out and said that apparently... Abuelism had emotionally abused Jessica, and that's what caused her divorce, or caused her to divorce him in 2007. But he did actually marry again. It doesn't specify who. It doesn't, yeah. I wasn't able to find, like, who he remarried, like, how long they were married, if they got divorced or what, but he did get remarried. Excuse me. Okay, so moving on to the crimes. So, police and prosecutors claimed that between May and August 2010, Abuelism would drive around late at night, approach small-framed men who were walking alone, ask them for directions, or ask them to help fix his vehicle, which was a green-colored Chevrolet Trailblazer, and then he would stab them. Usually, it was in the chest or the stomach, and Abuelism's alleged victims have been mostly black. And police in Leesburg, which I'm not sure where Leesburg is, but in Leesburg, the police suspected that the attacks may have been racially motivated since the population there was mostly white. However, in the Flint area, which was where Abuelism was mostly living, the population there was mostly black, and so they haven't, like, ruled it for sure as a, um, racial motivation, motive, just because, like, he hasn't really come out and been like, yeah, that's my motive, and there's no, nothing really to verify that yes, for sure, it's a race thing. Um, but Abuelism is also suspected of having stabbed a friend in the face with a screwdriver while on a visit to his family and Ramallah in early 2010. However, police did not pursue the case just because a friend refused to press charges. Yeah, I don't know why that happened. Yeah, like. me neither. <laughs> Leesburg police have said Abuelism is also a suspect in an unsolved homicide from March 2009. See, and I find it kind of strange that they were like, oh, it might have been a racially, yeah, racial, racial motivation. Because they said the same thing about Dahmer. Yeah. Most of his victims were of the... But also, it, Dahmer also lived in a neighborhood that... You yeah. know, it was mostly black people living there. Yeah. So I think when it comes to that, like, you can't just say, oh, yeah, it's a race thing. It's, I, I genuinely believe, like, they are 
evil people wanting to kill whoever they could kill, like whoever they had the opportunity to kill. Yeah, and it's like, if you also kind of read what it says, it says that they're small-framed men, so he knew what kind of people to go for. So I don't think it, I don't think it had anything to do with the color. I really I don't. don't. I, I think th- it had entirely to do upon how they were built, because he didn't go for anyone that was bigger any, than anywhere him. near his size. I mean, that tells me right there that he's doing it specifically for, like, the power aspect. Yeah. Not and for the Honestly, Lord. I'm not surprised he even got caught because he was sloppy. Like, sloppy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what I read, um, there was, like, one little thing that kind of threw everything together. Yeah, no, there was, like, one thing that really threw everything together. But on top of that, like... He left so many of his victims alive. And so you have, like, multiple people, too, coming out, like, being able to describe what the man looked like that stabbed them. And, like, when you have, they were able to describe the vehicle. So whenever you have multiple people describing, like, the same guy, it's, I feel like it's so much easier to find them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do feel like... Because it also talks later about mm-hmm. some more of that stuff. Um, but I really don't think that it was... Ro- again, racially. I don't think it racially. was racially motivated. I just think it happened to be... They were all the darker variety. They were in the variety. wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and from, from, what what. I, from what I heard, or from what I read, mm-hmm. not all of them were black. It was most of them were black. Yeah. So it's like, I don't see how you can say it was racially motivated and not... If you not if not all of the victims were of the same descent, like I don't, I mean pattern I guess, but it's like yeah. if that were the case, then I feel like there'd be a whole lot more than just most, you know, near all if anything. I mean, I believe only two. I believe there were only two that were white, and then the guy from Israel. I don't know. Well, I don't think he was black. He was probably just Israeli. Israeli, Israeli. I can't. <laughs> I can't <laughs> word. Israeli. Israeli. Yeah, I mean, Israeli is typically somewhere between white and black, but they're not. They're Middle Eastern, and yeah. Middle Easterns kind of have their own like skin tone because it's kind of like brownish, but it's not like mm-hmm. Latino brownish. Yeah, it's like. If you were to leave a, a white person under the sun for a little bit without them turning red, that's kind of what I would say an Israeli is. Man, you're going to get us canceled. <laughs> the, listen, if we get canceled for that, that's probably one of the it's one of the least things I would imagine. Anyhow. Um, anyway. So, Abuela Zam was actually arrested multiple times. So, the first time to the investigation... In Genesee County on August 4, 2010, it was announced that a series of stabbings that dated back to May 2010 were the work of one man, and a multi-jurisdictional task force was set up to investigate. The next week, on August 9, 2010, police in Leesburg connected three Leesburg connected three hammer attacks against black men there via their victim's description of the suspect, video surveillance footage of the attacks that matched his description and vehicle, and the similar mode of operation. The next day, Toledo police claimed a stabbing of a black man there also matched the suspect. See, I want to know why 
So, okay, when someone typically kills someone, right, whenever mm-hmm. it's a, a more of a serial variety rather than just random attacks, yeah. they typically don't stray from a method. They don't stray from, like, you know, obviously with the exception of, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's his name? Um, that one guy with uh, that face and that name. Attractive guy from the 60s and 70s. Uh, that one, yeah. So Tedatha Bundatha? Yeah, Tedatha Bundatha. Um, he just kind of used whatever. He really didn't care. He just wanted the, the people dead. That was kind of his main thing. But it's like, outside of that, you typically stuck to one method of killing. So it's like, I don't really see how you can be like, oh, this guy who stabs a bunch of people also used a hammer you know, on different people. Like, I don't really see that. I don't know. Maybe he got bored. He wanted to spice it up a little bit. I don't know. I mean, if he wanted to spice it up, he only did it with one other type of thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's, That's there's, a him question. That, there's like a thousand different spices, but he chooses pepper and salt. Yeah, I don't know. He could have chose rosemary, thyme, Maybe that's all he garlic. had at the time. I don't know. I don't know. So first arrest. Keyword, first. Yeah, first. Aboilism was arrested August 5th of 2010 in Arlington, Virginia, during a traffic stop of all places. Uh, he was taken into custody because he had a warrant out for his arrest for simple assault and later released on a personal bond. Listen, that Listen, was... they always <laughs> get out! Why y'all letting these guys out? It's like, what I want to know is what did he get stopped What did he get stopped for and why did he get taken in? Because, yeah, yeah. it was a warrant for a, a simple assault. But, like, do you just, like, I don't know, slap someone and then run away? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, second arrest, however. <clears throat> he was arrested by U.S. Customs and Border Protection Officers, Border Patrol, basically, um, on August 11th of 2010 at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You, you gotta include the Eastern Time. Not Pacific Time. Eastern Time. Yeah. Uh, in Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport, um... While preparing to board Delta Airlines flight <coughs> bound for Tel Aviv on the 13th of August 2010, he waived his right to fight extradition to Michigan. Abuelazam's family hired Lansing, based off of attorneys Brian Morley and Edward Zene. I don't know how to say that name, I'm assuming that's the case. He was flown to Flint on August 26, 2010. And lodged in the Genesee County Jail. He was held in solitary confinement likely for his safety and because he had scarred a lot of lives with his actions. According to Genesee County Sheriff Robert Pickle. At his arraignment he was ordered without bond. Or sorry. At his arraignment he was ordered held without bond by the judge even after the prosecutor asked for a $10 million bail. Alright the next part of it. Actually, I'm going to cut you off because I am going to really tell you about how they found him because it's so good. So about 10 p.m. on August 11, 2010. Okay, so basically it all started 22 hours before he was actually arrested. Someone named Aisha Moore called the tip line to set up, or that was set up by the task force. And she called them around midnight on August 11th, and she ended up dialing it three times, giving a little more information on each call. Now, there were 313 tips before hers. Some were so vague that really not, there wasn't anything to follow up on, but her call was different than those ones. 
She had actually met a man earlier th that month at her father's workplace, which was Kingwater Market on Detroit South and Coldwater Road in Mount Morris Township, which was the place Elias was working. And the man had a barbell at the top of his ear, similar to the one on the police sketch. He also drove a green over tan Chevy Blazer. Og and the task force made up of 20 to 40 local, state, and federal investigators started working at 6 a.m. Morse tip was immediately marked a priority. It took, it looked to be one of the better ones. And then with those pieces of information, it was a tip that they felt like they really had to get on. So two investigators went to the market. They made contact with store employees. They were told of an employee known to them only as Eli. He had said he was going to Virginia on August 2nd to visit family members. Virginia, like, as soon as they mentioned Virginia, um, it immediately raised suspicions to them because there had been three knife attacks in Leesburg, Virginia. All were like super similar to the ones that happened in Flint. So more investigators were called to the market by 9 or 10 a.m. Police were reviewing the store surveillance video. They saw the Chevy Blazer. They saw a Boilazim. The vehicle matched the description and so did he. So in the early afternoon, they made contact with Moore's father and Tommy Moore, who was known as Catfish because apparently that's all he wanted to eat when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And he had worked with the Boilazim both on the late night shift together for most of the summer. And so they asked him for his number and he said, yeah, he did have the phone number. So they got his phone number, got the phone number out and noticed that it had a 703 area code, which was an area code for Leesburg. And so they used cell phone tracking experts to put a ping on his cell phone. So whenever and wherever Abuela Zim's phone was, if it was on and had service, they would know the location down to the closest cell phone tower. While they had his phone number, they still didn't have his full name. Moore and other employees didn't know his last name because they just knew him as Eli or Big Man. At around that time, Tidball was back at the Flint police station. She learned about the tip and was searching for Ellis, or Eli's, I mean, in the FPD database. One popped up. It was another man named Elias who also worked at party stores. He was tracked down and eventually ruled out because he had an alibi. But then back at the market, investigators learned of a recent burst there for selling a six-pack of beer to minors. The man who made the sale was Elias Abuelazam. Based on the report filed by a Davison Township police officer who made the bust, now they had his full name and knew where he was staying in Flint. On the cell phone track, nothing popped up for a while. That could mean several things. Either his cell phone was off, he's in an area where he wasn't really getting service, or maybe he was airborne on a plane somewhere. So eventually his phone did pop up at Louisville, Kentucky. The tracking expert said he's either at the Louisville airport or on an expressway driving by. So authorities called the Louisville airport and they learned a Boilazim was gone, but his luggage wasn't. They pretty much searched the luggage and they found a very, very big piece of evidence. 
Packed among the clothes was a pair of Levi jeans and a pair of white New Balance tennis shoes with several small reddish brown spots and it was blood of one of the victims. So the cell phone went off, so they assumed he was flying, but they didn't know where. And that's where U.S. Customs agent Alf Cromwell came in. And when Cromwell comes in, everyone notices, apparently. Because despite his name, he gives off an air of invincibility and immeasurable expertise. His world, he said, moves at 500 miles per hour, and he can find anyone, anytime, anywhere, faster than any of the other investigators could imagine. So this is like the guy you want on your team to hunt someone down, okay? <laughs> so he's based out in Northern Virginia and has access to the nationwide flight manifest. He learned that a Boilism had boarded at Detroit Metro Airport headed to Louisville and already had boarded another headed to Atlanta. So he alerted the task force. Soon the, the phone came back on and he was in Atlanta. So Cromwell delivered that as urgent news and Abuelism had booked onto another flight that was supposed to leave at 10.15 p.m. So they had to move like fast before he went somewhere. Meanwhile, while all that's going on, Flint Township Detective Randy Kimes and some other investigators were about to do a search warrant on Abuelism's home. At the house, they found on top of the dryer in the basement, they found a white new Amsterdam gin t-shirt, which some of the like multiple surviving victims had described their attacker as wearing that shirt. So that's another thing that kind of pinned him. Oh, they also recovered the Chevy Blazer at a friend of the family's. Outside the home, a man was walking in the front yard and asked what was going on. He lived next door. The man's name was Tony Sahawami, which was Abuelism's uncle. Although Sahawami has never talked to the media, his court testimony provided some insight to who his nephew is and how he got there. But the other people, they like, hold on, they got him. They did. They got him. The search for the serial killer only took nine days. The investigation turned up what prosecutor David Layton called mountains of evidence. The tennis shoes seized at the Louisville airport had blood from two victims. They also used DNA evidence to show blood was found in the green overtan Chevy blazer. Now he's been convicted of first degree murder in one of the killings. But where did they talk about when they snatched him up? I guess this. In Atlanta, one of the officers for the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Protection distributed the photo to both plain clothes and uniformed officers. I guess photos of Abuelism. I don't know. But they were dispatched to gate C-17. They went up to the ticket counter and asked the person behind the counter to call the suspect's name. Yeah, he was six foot, five inches, 280 pounds. He walks up, the face matched the photo, and four officers surrounded him and his hands were cuffed behind his back. And he was taken into custody swiftly, easily, and even. So that's like how they fought him, they found him. Like they worked hard to find him and they did the thing. They <laughs> did the thing. I'm gonna love you 
the trial. During the evidentiary hearing for the Arnold Mi- Arnold Minor murder case, that's a tongue twister, the judge ruled that the evidence of the other Genesee County attacks could be used in the trial. That's interesting. The trial began on May 8th, 2012. The prosecution's key piece of evidence was a drop of Miner's blood on a pair of pants found in Abuelazam's luggage, which is kind of what we just yeah. went over. On May 15th, the prosecution arrested after calling 50 different witnesses. That's a lot of people. Including other victims, their relatives, several forensic experts, experts, in addition to Abuelazam's uncle, who assisted police in his capture. Two days later, on the 17th of May, his attorney presented a, a defense of insanity. Their solo expert witness was a psychiatric or psychiatrist, psychiatrist hired by his attorneys who diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. Abuelazam. And said, Abuelazam told him he committed the crimes because of evil spirits. The doctor also said that Abuelazam told him he attempted suicide in 97 and was diagnosed as psychotic by an Israeli psychologist in 09. The prosecution responded by attacking the psychiatrist's credibility, knowing that his field of expertise was addiction medicine. It's, I didn't know that was a, an expert or a field expert thing now. Like, I had no idea, but it is. The next day, the prosecution refuted the, psychiatri- the psychiatrist's diagnosis with two of their own mental health experts. Two psychologists who testified on behalf of the prosecution agreed that although Abuelazam has an unspecified personality disorder and he lacked empathy, his attacks were too planned out and organized for him to be considered legally insane. I want to know how they came to that. Yeah, me too, because I didn't see nothing about him like actually planning out his stuff. Maybe they knew something that we don't. Yeah, they probably knew something we don't. Yeah. On May 22nd, 2012, only an only after an hour of deliberation, the jury found him guilty of Miner's murder. On the 25th of June, 2012, Abuelazim was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole, which he is still serving to this day. Uh-huh, I actually found his mugshot, like his most recent mugshot. Oh, of course. So, I know what prison he's at, too. <laughs> These are all the charges that were dismissed because of not enough evidence or some issue with it. On August 26, 2010, the Genesee County Prosecutor's Office charged him with one count of assault with intent to commit murder. I really feel like that should have been attempted murder then, but I don't know, maybe that's the same thing, just differently worded. For an attack on July 27, 2010, on September 20, 2010, he was charged with four additional counts of assault to commit murder. Again, should be attempted, but okay. The victim's in those crimes are Bill Fisher, who was attacked June 26th. Now, these are all in 2010, so I'm not going to say the year for each of them. Richard Booker, who was attacked July 19th in Genesee Township, Michigan. And Edwin Wilson, who was attacked August 1st near Pearson Road in northern Flint, Michigan. And Devon Rawls of Flint, just the same. I guess they were on the same day. On October 8th, the Ohio Grand Jury indicted Abuelazam and charged him with felonious assault and or in the stabbing of church janitor Tony Leno in Toledo, Ohio. Like, church janitor? Okay. Why? Uh, November 4th, or sorry, October 21st, 
he was charged with the murder and the stabbing deaths of Frank Kellybrew and Darwin Mitchell, Marshall. Marshall of Flint, Michigan. November 4th, he was charged with two counts of resisting and obstructing a police officer, causing injury, and three counts of resisting and obstructing a police officer after he attempted to punch a deputy and had to be tasered with the help of four other officers on October 27th. On November 12th, he was charged with malicious destruction of property for smashing out the windows of a car belonging to James Augsburger, boyfriend of witness Lucinda Mann. November 23rd, he was charged with assault with intent to murder and the stabbing of Antoine Jackson on July 12th of the same year in Burton, Michigan. Again, all of these were in 2010. Now, Abuelism did hire a new attorney named Christopher M. Smith, who filed an appeal based on the original trial's judge rejection of a motion for a change of venue due to the extensive media coverage of the case, which they claimed wrongly called him a serial killer, and refuted the judge's decision to allow evidence of the other attacks or testimony of his other alleged victims. On June 10, 2014, the Michigan Court of Appeals upheld Abuelism's conviction. Smith then appealed that decision to the Michigan Supreme Court, which declined to hear it on November 25, 2014. So I find it very interesting how they're calling him a serial killer without the evidence that he killed more than one person. Because he was only convicted of one murder. That was it. Yeah. So they were calling him a serial killer even though he only was officially convicted for one murder. That does not make sense. Uh, like, I feel like they let emotion get the... I feel like they let emotion get the better of that because it's like, oh, well, he's he's being looked at, at being charged with, like, eight murder counts or possible murder counts, so he's a serial killer, but it's like, he was never convicted on any of those. Whether he did or not is not the point. You don't call someone a serial killer if they only killed one person, officially. Yeah, no, that doesn't make sense to me either why they would only... Because, like, he did stab multiple people. And from what it seems like, he did kill multiple people. So I don't understand why they would just charge him for, like, one. I think it was just lack of evidence. Maybe. Because, like... There was, there's a reason why they were dismissed, because they couldn't tie him to all of those other charges specifically. Interesting. But on October, or not October, <laughs> you were saying October, <laughs> now I'm saying it. On August 1st, 2014, Abuelazem filed a case in federal court against the Immigration and Neutralization Service. Naturalization. Naturalization Service and the United States Attorney General asking to be deported to Israel to face charges of an attempted murder that happened in Latrun. Latrun? Latrun. I don't know how to pronounce that. Latrun. I don't know. On October 1st, 2009, Michigan authorities believed the lawsuit to be frivolous and expected it to be dismissed, noting that it is legally impossible because of abuelism's life without parole status. 
since convicts can't be deported until their full sentences serve. And with life in prison, your sentence pretty much doesn't end until you're dead. So well, at that point, there's like... That depends because life in, life imprisonment actually has an expiration because... Which is why typically they stack on like however many counts. Yeah, which is why when you hear like 15 counts of life in prison, you're like, what's the point? He's not going to live that long. Well, the point is because life is technically 25 years, which can be served in one lifetime now they don't specify that it's 25 but you're in there for so long there's a there's a decent chance you're going to die before getting out there anyway from natural death or not so natural death um yeah life in parole or life without parole does not mean he's going to be in there forever that simply means that he's more likely going to be in there he's more than likely going to die before he gets out but that's not saying he will for sure because it also depends, because there's also some states who life in prison has a different term, or sorry, a different uh, a different year term than other states. Yeah, but I've seen, like, even in prison, like, he's been getting into trouble in prison. He I'm hasn't been. Yeah, so I really, because, like, usually if they let people out early and stuff, it's typically on, like, good behavior or whatever. But I think because... One, his crime is, the crimes that he committed are very serious crimes. And the fact that, like, he's not remorseful and still continues to be a little troublemaker in prison and stuff. Like, I don't see him getting out. Oh, I don't, I don't need, at least not alive. Yeah, no, for sure. And so, I don't think they're ever going to send him to Israel just because, yeah, no, there's, there's no way. But... If you guys want to, like, watch any documentaries or anything about it, you can actually find uh, an episode of Investigation Discovery called Show Blood Lies and Alibis. That's the show. That's That's the show? Yeah, so the Investigation Discovery show, Blood Lies and Alibis, titled Serial Slasher. It featured... Reenactments of some of his attacks, investigation and arrest, actual footage of some of his attacks, and the arrest and trial, as well as uh, testimony by Genesee County law enforcement officials, local media, surviving victims, and Arnold Miners relatives. Yeah, so you can watch that if that's something you're interested in. That sounds so... like that. I like that they have actual, like testimonies by people who you know actually worked on the case and not just like the people who worked on the case and tracking them down but actual real victims because like those are the ones like their stories deserve to be told like they did it they survived some terrible awful things and you know what they are like anyone who ever survives that kind of thing are definitely like the strongest people because there's so much, like, healing that they have to go through. And, yeah, most of the time they end up kicking butt. And, like, yeah, so I, I am curious about watching that myself, seeing what the survivors say. Oh, well, yeah, but because it's Investigation Discovery, that's an actual, like, uh, television program. Yeah, so. no, because they do all kinds of stuff. They do, like, lovers who turned into murders and killing their boyfriends and girlfriends and spouses and things and (coughs) they do a lot of crime stuff yeah no it's yeah i found this case i found a lot of it to be 
strange because like yeah like the way he got caught and then all the stuff with the deportation and then all the appeals or all the appeals and I know like and they were like trying to get him to go to certain places too at one point and he was like oh I'm gonna try to fight it and then they got him to where he needs to be like there was a lot going on yeah with this one yeah no there was but yeah I hope you enjoyed this episode and Yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful, fantastic day. Bye, guys.